Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, okay? I, I asked if you, if you knew what Palm Sunday was, about half of you raise your hand. Is, do you know what Holy Week is? Amen. So Holy Week is the final week of Jesus' life. It's the week that changed the world. Amen. It's the week that changed the world. Holy Week is really considered the most sacred seven days of Christianity. You know that? Because I'm going to tell y'all guys, from today on Palm Sunday, which was actually the 10th of Nisan, which would have been March the 29th, 33 AD, Jesus was 33 years old, he rode into Jerusalem. Okay, listen, if he does not do that, then this is all for nothing. If he does not roll into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and go through the hell that he went through, through Holy Week, and he is not crucified on Good Friday, good for us, bad for him, right? And then risen from the dead on Resurrection Sunday, then what are we doing this for? Right? What does this mean? So this was very necessary, and it is the most sacred seven days in our Christianity. And I'm going to even say this. Maybe we should start looking at every week like Holy Week. Amen? Maybe we should start looking at every week like it was Jesus' last week and everything that he does for us every single day, 365, 24-7. Huh? Come on, y'all. <laughs> In fact, the last seven days of Jesus' life was so important, guys, so important to our Christian faith that it is mentioned in all four Gospels. Okay? There's eight events in Jesus' life that are recorded in all four Gospels. The, the, the death, burial, and resurrection, of course, the big one, him being bad. To, the, but, but Holy Week is one of the biggest events, and it is recorded in all four Gospels. Listen to this. The book of John has 12 chapters. Chapter 12 starts Jesus' what they call the triumphal entry. There are 26, 20, 21 chapters in John. So over 50% of the book of John is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. That's how important it is. Okay? If you're to look in Matthew, two-fifths of the gospel of Matthew is devoted to that final week of Jesus' life. Listen to this. In the gospel of Luke, one-third is devoted to that final week. And three-fifths of the gospel of Mark is devoted to the final week of Jesus' life. Today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark, and there's, there's 16 chapters in Mark's book. Ten chapters, the first ten chapters are dedicated to three years of Jesus' life. The last six chapters are devoted to eight days. That's how important it is. Thank you for that arousing applause, Mr. Tribbett. That's how important this is. That the last six chapters is devoted. So I, I want you to understand this, that, that the last week of Jesus' life is totally disproportionate to how much ink it receives in the Gospels. Okay? Over half of each one of the Gospels almost is completely devoted to this last week of Jesus' life. Three years in ten chapters of the book of Mark. Three years in ten chapters, eight days in the last six chapters. Amen? Okay. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for this final week. We thank you for this holy week, Lord. And God, I just pray right now, Father, as we reflect on this week and we reflect on what Palm Sunday is, God.
Father, I just pray, Lord God, that we never, ever, ever forget what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's like, it seems like in the Gospels that, that everything just slows down when, when you get to, to this part of Jesus' life. It's like you're driving on the interstate and you've been going 90 mile an hour, 80, 80 mile an hour. You know what I'm talking about? And then you get off the exit and it slows down to 55. And you're like, man, it seems so slow. And that's what happens in the Gospels. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a ride through three years of Jesus' life and then it gets to the, to the final week. It gets to Holy Week and it's like, oh! And I think we should slow down just a little bit too. Amen? I think we as Christians should slow down just a little bit. Can I tell you something? A lot can happen in a week. Amen? A lot can happen in a week. On Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem. He's held as a hero by cheering crowds and they're waving palm branches. And, and then on Monday, Jesus turns over the tables in the temple and he's calling out all the, their corrupt practices and, and doing all the things. He goes into the temple on Wednesday. They're plotting on how they can scheme and, 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 and trick Jesus to kill him. And, and Amen. And then on Thursday, Jesus just has a quiet dinner with his friends. He's hanging out, and then he goes into the garden to pray in Gethsemane, and he is betrayed. He's beaten. He's brought to trial and sentenced to death. On Friday, Jesus is crucified on the cross, suffering for sins he did not commit. On Saturday, heaven held its breath. And on Sunday, God turned the grave into a garden. Hallelujah. Mm. That's Holy Week. That's what happened starting today. Amen? Let's begin by acknowledging this, guys, that not all weeks are created equal, are they? <laughs> Somebody's had some pretty rough weeks in their life. Is it hot in here? Lord, not all weeks are created equal. I was talking with a gentleman one day, and uh, um, like I, listen, there's just some weeks in your life, guys, listen, that you can probably count, and you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, there's some weeks in your life that just stand out more than other weeks, amen? You know what I'm talking about? They just stand out because the events that happened, there were things that happened that week, and you're like, oh my gosh, I was talking with a gentleman one day, and and can I tell you, I've had several of those weeks in my life. <laughs> Amen. And this gentleman I was speaking with, he had, was telling me that he was just, uh, he was feeling super tired all the time. And he didn't want to get out of bed and he was, he, he just was just exhausted and, 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 and long story, but he, 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 he starts looking pale and his wife makes a doctor's appointment for him. So he gets up Monday morning, he goes to the doctor and uh, his blood pressure and everything was all out of whack and, and, and this and that. And, and they go see his cardiologist on Tuesday. And after the echocardiogram, the cardiologist told him that three of his arteries were 100% blocked. And, and they told him, said, you need surgery now. Right now. Cancel your plans. You need surgery today. And he was shocked. He said, well, can we, like, reschedule this? Can we do it? Next week, and they said, if you do not go to the hospital, you might not make it through today. That's what they told him. So what started off 
as a normal week, what started off is just a regular, suddenly everything changes, right? Everything changes. How, how many parents do we have in here? Where's, how, how many parents do we have in here? Where's y'all's kids at? Okay, okay, listen to this. Look, there was a week when you came home from the hospital. There was a week when you came home from the hospital holding a little baby. It was your first baby. I <laughs> look at it, he's like, yeah. I got a brand new granddaughter. It's cool, cool. But you came home holding a baby, and everything changed, <laughs> didn't it? Don't worry, you'll get sleep in about 18 years. You'll be fine. Don't sweat it. Maybe, maybe you just stay up worrying about different stuff. In fact, your whole world was turned upside down. Amen? The week that changed everything. So not all weeks are created equal. Listen, some stand out, some, some because just because of events you didn't expect. So, so not all weeks were created the same. And, and things happen that just flip your world upside down. And the same was true for Jesus. Amen? The same was true for Jesus. So again, today is the beginning of Holy Week. This is the final week of Jesus' life. It takes place in Jerusalem. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a Sunday. He will enter that and then he will be executed on a Friday. Amen? It's the week that literally changed the world. Holy Week, Passion Week. Somebody made all this Passion Week and you think of passion, you think of this burning love, this, but that's not what passion means in the Bible. Passion in the Bible means suffering born out of love. For you and me. Amen. That's what Passion Week's all about. It is suffering born out of love for us. The first day of the last week of Jesus' life. Can we just reflect on that for a minute? Today was the first day of the last week of Jesus' life. He makes what's known as his uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Amen? It's what we call Palm Sunday. Here it is. I told you this thing was going to be a... It's what we call Palm Sunday. Now, I'm going to tell you all a little story about this real quick before we go on. My wife is in Florida, and my son, our son, got her a palm plant. She's in Florida, y'all. I can cut limbs off of it if I want to. This thing sits in my living room, and I, so I called her last night. I said, hey, Tara, I want to I cut one of your palms. She said, you can't do that. It's going to die. You're not supposed to cut them off. I said, well, too late. <laughs> Just telling you the truth. So anyway, it's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. I want to I read this real quick out of, out of Mark chapter 10 because... This is, Jesus is on his way to go to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, okay? I'm going to start off in verse 32. Look at this. It says, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Everybody say up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was going before them. He was leading the way. I want you to, I want you to, to think about this. The Bible says that Jesus was going before him. He was leading the way. He's, he's, he's leading them up to Jerusalem. And look at this. Look at this. It says, and they were amazed. And then what's the next verse say? 
and those that followed were what? Isn't that an interesting contrast? That they're following Jesus and they're, they're just amazed by it. They're following him. And then all of a sudden, this is the one that follow. Now they're afraid. It's interesting that they're amazed and then they're afraid. And it says, then he took the 12 aside. Look at this. It says, he took the 12 aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Now, this is important, guys. Listen, because he's a son of God. He is omniscient. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows exactly what's about to happen to him. Three times, in fact, Jesus tells his disciples, three times, Listen to this. He says, we're going to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. What? What do you, what do you, what do you mean? Which is ironic because the name Jerusalem it comes from the word shalom. It's where we get our word shalom, and it means peace. Jerusalem, Salim, was supposed to be the city of peace. Can I tell you it was anything but peaceful to Jesus? Amen? It was anything peaceful to Jesus. Listen, this was the third time that Jesus had predicted his death to his disciples. Look at verse 33. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. Look at this. He says, they will mock him. They will scourge him. They're going to spit on him, and they're going to kill him. He said, but mark this. But mark this, I'm here to tell you. The third day, he will, everybody say it together. Sorry, I can't hear you. Come on. Come on. He said on the third day, what's going to happen? Yeah. Amen. He said on the third day, mark this. I'm telling you, on the third day. I mean, this is a pretty clear prediction from Jesus. Amen. Y'all following me? This is a pretty clear, and the disciples just didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't get it. Jesus is predicting to them what's going to happen. With every miracle that Jesus had performed, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. With every healing that he had done, he was gaining popularity. He was becoming more and more. And, and, and the disciples didn't understand what was happening. How could they do this to you? You're like the most popular person in Jerusalem. They didn't understand what was happening. Amen? Y'all follow me? Listen. He's popular with people. Many believed he was the Messiah. Many believed that he was the promised king or the savior that Israel had been waiting for. So the disciples are thinking, we're going to Jerusalem for a coronation. We're going to Jerusalem so he can be crowned king. Jesus is popular. Listen, they've got the people behind them. The multitudes are following him. The people are behind them. Jesus is popular. And the religious leaders were scared, and they should be. Amen? And they should be. Jesus has blown up in power and popularity. So the disciples, they're like, yeah, let's go to Jerusalem. Amen? They're going to, for a coronation, and Jesus, he explains to them. He says what they're going there for. He says, no, we're going there to suffer and die. Amen? He's predicted it to them three times. He says, they're going to arrest me. They're going to condemn me. They're going to torture me. And then they're going to murder me. They're going to murder me. 
He said, but peace I tell you, three days. Whoo, come on, somebody. He said, three days. I will arise. And the disciples think that he's about to be crowned king. They just don't get it. Even though Jesus had predicted his death, like I said, three times, they didn't understand. But you know what? This was part of the plan from the very beginning. You know that? That God was going to send his one and only son to die for us. That he was going to send his son into the world to love us and to lay down his life for our broken lives. Amen? That was the plan from the very beginning. But first, it meant that Jesus would be rejected, condemned, suffer, and die for sins he didn't commit. Hmm. Jesus was going to take our place. Amen? Can we thank Jesus right now for taking our place? For the wages of sin is death. Amen? Aren't you glad it ain't payday yet? Ooh, thank you, Jesus, for taking our place. It's Sunday morning in Jerusalem. Passover is about to start. Everybody is there for Passover. It's a, it's a celebration of the exodus of Israel. What it is is a celebration, and, and Jews from all over were there to celebrate the miraculous deliverance that God had given them from slavery and bondage in Egypt and how the death angel had passed over the Passover. Get it? We talked about it before and, and where they would paint the blood on the doorpost. It was a huge celebration, and Jews from all over were there. Listen, the city was packed with more than 200,000 pilgrims from all over the Roman world. Jews from all over were, were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Look at Mark 11, starting in verse 1. It says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. I want to tell you this. The Mount of Olives is to the east of the city. And going up on the Mount of Olives, it gives a panoramic view of Jerusalem. And Jesus is sitting up there looking at it. And he says this. Jesus sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have, as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt. Everybody say colt. Tied on which no one has sat. He said, loose it and bring it. Now, this is kind of a weird request. Amen. All through the Gospels, Jesus walked everywhere. Amen. There are no records other than a little fishing boat trip a couple times. I did not a paraphrase for that. There is no record anywhere in Scripture of Jesus ever hitching a ride, except for on a boat a couple times, right? So this is kind of a, a weird request. As a matter of fact, Jesus had walked 90 miles from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. So this is a very weird request for him to ask for a donkey. He's half a mile from the temple. The Mount of Olives is right outside. He's half a mile from the temple. So this is a very calculated request, guys. You know why? He's trying to make a point. He's trying to show everyone what kind of king he is. 500 years before Christ was ever even born, there was a, a prophecy. The, the prophet Zechariah, look at Zechariah 9.9. He gave a promise to the Jews in the Old Testament. He says, speak to all the congregation. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, Zechariah 9.9. O people of Jerusalem. He said, look, look, 
Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Everybody say righteous and victorious. Come on. Yet he is, say it again. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat. And I want you to understand something that everyone in the city would have known about this prophecy. Since age eight, Jewish boys were taught all the prophecies of the Old Testament, of the Torah, right? Jewish boys had memorized these exact words, predicting that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior, the King, would one day ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. 500 years before Jesus was ever born. Amen? Your king is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and he's going to liberate us from Rome. Right? That's what they thought. So Jesus is intentionally sending a signal. He said, I'm the long-awaited king. That's me. He's declaring publicly, I'm the king you've been waiting your whole life for. Listen, he is declaring publicly at this point in his life that I'm the Messiah. Throughout scripture, throughout everything, he does miracles. He says, don't say nothing. My time has not come. My time is not yet. This, that, right? He is declaring publicly on that day as he is riding into the, to, to Jerusalem that is swelled with hundreds of thousands of people that I am your Messiah. Amen? Because they would have known it. But notice this. Zechariah says, listen. He says, your king's coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, but he's humble. Amen? He's humble riding on a donkey. So what kind of king is Jesus? He's royalty and humility rolled up in one. Amen? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. He's royalty and humility. I told you we're going to slow down just a little bit today. He's royalty and humility in the first century. Listen, this is not how kings rode into a city. Kings rode into cities on white stallions. Kings rode into cities if, on a white war horse. On a, if you were a victorious king, listen, you show off your power. You show off your prestige. You show off your wealth. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Come on, y'all. He says, my kingdom is about humility and peace. He says, my kingdom is about humility and peace and humble service. So he's riding a humble donkey. Amen? He's riding a donkey to tell the people that I am the servant king. Amen? This is Holy Week, guys. Mark says this in chapter 11. Look. And I want you to think about this. I want you to remember that Mark is there. Mark is with them. Mark is on the road from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Mark is with them. He says this in verse 7. He says, then they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it. Look at this in verse 8. And many spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches out of Jamie's living room. I did it. 
It says, and others cut down leafy branches to the trees and spread them on the road. And these would have been these palm fronds. Why palm branches? Because in the ancient world, this is how they welcomed home a victorious king. Come on, here he comes. Here he comes. Here's Jesus. They're rolling out the red carpet. This is how they did it. They laid their clothes down and they put palm fronds down. Come on, here he is. Here's the king. Here comes the king. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Here's the king. That's how they did it. They literally would strip the palm branches and roll out the red carpet for them. Here he comes. King Jesus. I want you to imagine this. He's riding this donkey down the road from the Mount of Olives. And Mark says this. Look at this in verse 9. Then those who went before him and those who followed him cried out saying this, listen, Hosanna! Amen? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody say Hosanna. Hosanna. You know what that means? Save us, king. It means save us, king. Hosanna is made up of two Hebrew words. One of them, Yasha, Ana. Yasha means save, Ana means now. They were shouting, save us now, Jesus. Woo, that's right, woo. He's coming in and they're saying, save us now, Jesus. The Jewish people are welcoming him as their savior and their king. This is his royal procession. Are y'all following me so far? Am I helping y'all understand what Palm Sunday is? Okay. They're rolling out the red carpet for him. This is his royal procession. Look at verse 10. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know what they're saying? Long live the king. That is a prophecy out of Psalm 118. If you read Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, blessed Hosanna who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he the king of David. That is a messianic prophecy out of Psalm 118. Read it. He's fulfilling all the prophecies. If this don't happen this week, guys, I can't not tell you how important this week is for our faith. All the prophecies are fulfilled. Finally, they're saying, Hosanna, long live the king. Finally, someone's going to deliver us from Rome. Amen. They thought a king was coming. This is our victory parade. This is our royal celebration. This is a party. So wait a minute, Jesus, why are you crying? Why are you crying? I want you to imagine this with me. Think about this with me for a minute. You're a disciple. And people are shouting for joy. Hosanna in the highest. Save us, king, do this. You walk up, Jesus, this is awesome. How's it going? And he's crying. What's, what's going on? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Ain't this awesome? Why are you crying at your coronation? You're a king. Luke 19 puts it this way. I want you to look at this. Luke 19 he puts it this way. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. You know, there's only one other place in the Bible that Jesus wept. It's John 11:35. after he's seen the body of Lazarus. Luke 19, he says, he saw the city. He's coming down 
from the Mount of Olives and he, he sees the city of Jerusalem and the Bible says he wept. He wept over it. Come on, y'all. He saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known, he's talking to him, he says, even you, if you would have just known. Amen? He says, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. He said, I'm God in the flesh. I'm right here. He said, even you, you don't understand it. What he's telling me is you missed it because you did not see the time of your visitation. Amen. He said, I'm here. I'm King. I'm the Messiah. And you're missing it. You're missing it. Yeah. He said, now it's hidden from your eyes. Amen. Y'all following me? You missed it. He wept. Can I tell you that the word for weeping in the Bible is not gentle, warm tears. It's uncontrolled sobbing out of sorrow. When he saw Lazarus, it was uncontrolled sobbing out of sorrow because he loved him so much. When he saw the city of Jerusalem, it was uncontrolled sobbing because he knew what was going to happen. Amen? He knew it. Jesus is weeping. Everyone else is celebrating. Why is the Greek king crying? Why is the king crying? Because he knew that the whole world can change in a week. Come on, somebody. Maybe you've had one of them weeks in your life. I'm just telling you. He knew that in just five days, this same crowd that was shouting, Hosanna in the highest, was going to be count, uh, uh, screaming, crucify him. The same crowd in a matter of five days. Jesus not only knew the future, Jesus knew the hearts of men. Come on, somebody. That's a great place to say amen right there. That is a great place to say amen. Jesus not only knew the future, but he knew the hearts of men. Right? So important that the moment those crowds realized that he was not bringing political revolution. Whoo! The military victory that they craved. They thought he was coming in to liberate them from Rome. He knew they would reject him. Amen? They would reject his message of, here's what we're going to do for our enemies. We're going to love them. What? What? Yeah! Yeah, and then those who persecute you, we're going to pray for them. What? What are you talking about? They're going to reject his message. They're going to reject his ethos. They're going to reject his kingdom. Amen. Are y'all following me? Good. See, Jesus was not a conquering king who fit political expectations. He wasn't left. He wasn't right. He wasn't red. He wasn't blue. He wasn't liberal. He wasn't conservative. Guys, come on, y'all. He is the prince of peace that models a very different way. Come on, you got to do better than that. He was the prince of peace that modeled a very different way. He said, I come for self-sacrifice. Sacrifice? We want the way of the sword. Come on, y'all, just like the rest of us, don't we? Uh, I want the way of the sword. We want the way of the sword. We want, we want somebody who's going to come and knock our enemies off. Amen? Don't we all want that? 
What do you mean you come in self-sacrifice? Self-sacrifice? We want the way of the sword. He's going to liberate us from the rotten Romans. See, but Jesus knew Jerusalem's future too. If you look at Mark 13, he had already predicted that they were going to come and, and, and tear the temple down. Listen to this. Jesus knew Jerusalem's future. They wanted to make Jerusalem great again. It wasn't a political thing. It's just what the Jews wanted. They wanted to make Jerusalem great again. But Jesus knew that 35 years from this exact day, 35 years from this exact moment, Rome would send 60,000 soldiers into Jerusalem. The streets would run red with blood and they would kill over a million Jews. They would tear the temple down brick by brick and stone by stone. And that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. Jesus knew it. The ruins of the temple, if you go, are still there today. Today. The Romans destroyed the temple into ruins and into rubble, sending a message saying, don't ever mess with Rome. You don't mess with Rome. But remember what Jesus said? Tear this temple down. In three days. Come on, y'all. You better get right. In three days, he said, I will rise again. That's what he said. In three days, I will rebuild this. He wasn't talking about the literal temple. He is the ultimate temple. Come on, somebody. He is the ultimate temple. Mm. You understand why Jesus was weeping? He could see two temples being destroyed. In 35 years, the Jewish temple would be ripped down by the Romans. But in five days, he says, this temple right here of my body, he said, it's going to be torn in two also. Amen. That's why he was weeping. He's seen it. So Jesus weeps. He sees Jerusalem's destruction and he sees his coming crucifixion. See, we get excited, right, about Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Easter's coming. Amen. Praise God. Palm Sunday was a day of celebration for most, but it was a day of bittersweet sorrow for Jesus. Mm. He felt the grief. As he began the week that changed his world and would change our world. Amen? Amen. Come on. The week that would change our world and it would end with not a coronation but a king hanging on a cross for something he didn't even do. Thank you, Jesus. So how do we go? How do we go from this? To this in a week? How do you go from this to being stretched out? Can I tell you, a lot can change in a week. Amen? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, not everybody was thrilled about it. In fact, the Pharisees were threatened by him. You know why? Because Jesus called them out on their crap. He condemned their hypocrisy. Amen? He would come in and he condemned their hypocrisy. That's why people loved him because he called all the religious leaders out on their crap and people were following him and they're like, I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm following Jesus. Amen? That's why everybody loved him. That's why the crowds loved him. They, listen, he was calling them out for taking advantage of people, for not living what they were preaching, for cozying up to Rome. And Jesus was calling them out on it. 
On Monday, he went to the temple. Look at Mark 11. Look at verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Look at verse 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught saying this, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. He said, you know what, you know how I should describe you? You snakes, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. I've been called a lot of bad things, but ain't nobody going to call me a brood of vipers and get away with it. I'll tell you that right now. He's calling them out. You brood of vipers. And the Pharisees were offended. They got jealous. They got mad at him. Amen? And the crowd started ignoring them. And now they're following Jesus. And watch this. Listen, by Tuesday and Wednesday, check this out. Look at verse 14. Uh, Mark 14, verse 1. Look, uh, remember, guys, a lot can change in a week. So by Tuesday and Wednesday, look at this right here. Look, look. After two days, it was a Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes saw how they might take him by trickery. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? They, that they might take him by trickery. Isn't that something? And put him to death. They're going to take him by trickery. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. We can't do it during the feast because the people are going to riot. Because they love Jesus. For real. The people riot. Passover, listen, if, 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 if they have a, they didn't want a riot because if they had a riot during Passover, that means Rome would crack down on them and steal their power. Amen? So let's not do it while the people are here. We don't want a riot. Aren't you shocked that toxic politics were part of the ancient world as well? Huh? Are you shocked? Come on, y'all. They ain't even trying to get political, but they're actually insanely jealous of Jesus' power and growing popularity. So they come up with a plan to silence him. Look at this. To falsely accuse him. To secretly arrest him. Thursday. Thursday comes. Look at verse 10. It says in Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Thursday, Jesus institutes the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. He celebrates Passover with his disciples. He predicts Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And they pay Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray him. Amen. They arrest him with swords and clubs and torches. The disciples scatter. And, I, and, I, and I'll say this, that as they come into Gethsemane to get him, Peter cuts off one of the soldiers' ears, right? And Jesus performs his last miracle. He performs his last miracle as a human on this earth. He picks up the ear and puts it back on. He says, my kingdom is not one of violence. Come on, somebody. But of peace and humility, right? They arrest him in Gethsemane. The disciples scatter. Even Peter will abandon Jesus when he needs him the most. Mm. And then on Friday, 
in the wee hours of the morning, Jesus, the king, will be condemned as a criminal. He'll be taken to a trumped-up trial at the high priest's house. He'll be passed along to Pilate, the Roman governor. And can I tell you all this? Pilate would be elected today. He's a politician's politician. He knows how to speak out of one side of his neck and wash his hands on this side. Amen. Cave and compromise to the crowds. That's what he did. Pilate sends Jesus back to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. No one knows what to do with Jesus because they know the charges are made up. He's innocent. And they know it. His only crime was speaking the truth of God to the people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. His only crime was speaking the truth of God to the people and offending and upsetting the Pharisees. So the city packed with pilgrims. They don't want to start a riot. So Pilate caves to the crowd. He caves to the political pressure and he condemns Jesus to death. Look at verse 15, Mark 15. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him, after he had beat him to be crucified. Watch this. Watch this. Everybody look at me. Church and state together deliver the sentence. Amen? The church and state together deliver the sentence. Death by crucifixion. This last verse in 24 and 25 of Mark 15. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour, guys, and say this with me. And what? Say it again because none of you said it. And they crucified him. And they crucified him.